Happy Pride for those of you listening in this blustery February Aotearoa. Happy Pride and welcome to the Ruto Love Podcast. On today's episode, I'm offering you my whimsy. I'm offering you what lights me up. I'm reading an excerpt from Peter and Wendy, which I suppose you'd know is the story of Peter Pan. I have deep connections to the world of Never Neverland. First off, I have a few friends who actually call me Tinkerbell. Additionally, I am convinced I am a mermaid. And furthermore, I love the old-fashioned romantic writing style of these era, so romantic and visually ornate. So I'll be reading the chapter called The Mermaid's Lagoon, which begins on page, I shit you not, 122, which is my birthday. Just saying, I delight in being legally allowed to read this because the book is copyright free, and since there's not so subtle dreams of mine to have my voice being broadcast over the airwaves, there's never been a more perfect opportunity than this very situation before me, and never a more perfect passage. It's brief. It's really a game of less is more here, folks. <laughs> but before I begin reading my passage, I want to explain what it means to me. Firstly, I have come across actual mermaid lagoons in Aotearoa, so that's a thing. Also, I consider my life's path as being intricately tied to that of the mermaid, fairy, and shapeshifter. Magical beings that alter shapes at will, transforming flesh to feather, scales to hooves, matter to mist. Shapeshifters feel very much within the same world of magic where I spent all of life as a child, and some of life as an adult, trying to defy the restrictive white lines or lanes society sets up for its people. I have conjured up the shapeshifter. I will not be classified. Therefore, my deep love of magic may very well stem from the inheritance of all that is magic as it's come before me, but also how I exist in this world and function the way that only Rudo Griceworth can. These stories and lore of other worlds are crucial to how we know the unknowable, how we can dance with mystery. So please, go there with me. Imagine the swirls and textures of colors and vividly, behind the painted eyelids, allow your mind's eye to go there with me. Chapter 8 The Mermaid's Lagoon if you shut your eyes and are a lucky one, you may see at times a shapeless pool of lovely pale colors suspended in the darkness. Then, if you squeeze your eyes tighter, the pool begins to take shape and the colors become so vivid that with another squeeze, they must go on fire. But just before they go on fire, you see the lagoon. This is the nearest you'll ever get to it on the mainland. 
just one heavenly moment. If there could be but two moments, you might see the surf and hear the mermaids singing. The children often spent long summer days on this lagoon, swimming or floating most of the time, playing the mermaid games in the water and so forth. You must not think from this that the mermaids were on friendly terms on the island. Oh, on the contrary. It was one of Wendy's lasting regrets that all the time she was on the island, she never had a civil word from one of them. When she stole softly to the edge of the lagoon so that she might see them by the score, especially on Marooner's Rock, where they love to bask, combing out their hair in a lazy way that quite irritated her. <laughs> or she might even swim on tiptoe, as it were, to within a yard of them. But then when they saw her and dived, probably splashing her with their tails not by accident, but intentionally. They treated all the boys in the same way, except for Peter. who chatted with them on Maruna's rock by the hour and sat on their tails when they got cheeky. He gave Wendy one of their combs. The most haunting time at which to see them is at the turn of the moon when they utter strange wailing cries. But the lagoon is dangerous for mortals then. And until the evening of which we have now to tell, Wendy had never seen the lagoon by moonlight. Less from fear, for of course Peter would have accompanied her, than because she had strict rules about everyone being in bed by seven. She was often at the lagoon, however, on sunny days after rain, when the mermaids come up in extraordinary numbers. To play with their bubbles. The bubbles of many colors made in rainbow water they treat as balls, hitting them gaily from one to another with their tails and trying to keep them in the rainbow till they burst. The goals are at each end of the rainbow and the keepers only are allowed to use their hands. Sometimes a dozen of these games will be going on in the lagoon at a time, and it is quite a pretty sight. But the moment the children tried to jump in, they had to play by themselves, for the mermaids immediately disappeared. Nevertheless, we have proof that they secretly watched the interlopers and were not above taking an idea from them. For John introduced a new way of hitting the bubble with the head instead of the hand, and the mermaids adopted it. This is the one mark that John has left on the Neverland. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on this brief trip to Mermaid Lagoon. Like the author, Jim Barry, I truly believe this world is there. It's but a brief squeezing of the eyes seen from the back of our painted eyelids so vividly so vividly that it sets our hearts 
ablaze. Join me next time for more musings, readings, and interviews. I'm so grateful to you, dear listener, and for Bjorn, for his continued support of editing and steadying. Matewa, till next time. Thank you.